Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven is part of designnetwork.org, exclusive architecture and design podcasts, reaching creative listeners worldwide. Hello and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect. I work in eastern Massachusetts and my specialty is additions and renovations to existing homes. So I started this podcast as a way for homeowners to get an idea of what might be in store for them when they started their home renovation. So I speak to vendors, uh, other architects, contractors, and now homeowners about their home renovations. So they share their experiences and um, things they did right, things they love about their house, things they would have done differently. And this week is another renovation story. This one is a house uh, built in 1939 in Indianapolis and owned by my friend Jeff Eccles. And Jeff studied architecture at Ball State University and is the director of brand strategy at Entree Architect. He is the host of Build Your Brand podcast and host of Context and Clarity. And as usual, we jump right into the conversation here. So my wife is from here. We met at Ball State and... When we graduated, or when I graduated, she graduated the year before I did. We moved, for me, it was back to Chicago. She moved to Chicago. We got married and lived up there for a couple of years before realizing that everybody that we knew was leaving Chicago. (laughs) So we, you know, when we realized that that was the case, and Chicago is a pretty expensive place to live, and also being young, relatively recent college graduates, you know, the whole world is, is open to you. Mm. And we had, um, we had friends in all of the cool places in Portland and Austin and Seattle. And we'd visited most of them and, oh man, we could move to Portland or we could move to wherever. And the, the reality, the truth of the matter is that we just couldn't decide where we were going to move. And we had sublet this condo in, in, Chicago and we were going to have to move at some point. And so we said, well, since she was from here and her family, a lot of her family lives here, we said, well, we'll just move to Indy for a year. And so we moved to Indy for a year and that was 1995. So okay. was that 26 years ago? <laughs> our, our year turned into 26 years. And we, we took an apartment for a while because I didn't know anything about Indianapolis and we, while we were in the apartment for about six months, we looked around and she said, I remember this conversation. She said, why don't you, why don't we go look at houses in Irvington? I'm like, okay, why? I don't even know what that means. I don't know where that is, but why? And she said, I think you'll feel comfortable there. Okay. Well, why? Exactly. That was my next question. Second question is the same as the first question. Why? <laughs> Why? What does that mean? Exactly? Well, you need to say that five times, don't you, Jeff? I do. Yeah. To you get should get to the real answer. Five whys. Exactly. And it, as it turns out, she was exactly right. We came over. This is a historic neighborhood five miles from the center of downtown Indianapolis. And it feels an awful lot like some of the small suburbs and neighborhoods um, in and around Chicago where I, I grew up, spent most of my time growing up. 
and so she she was she was spot on. I looked around and it felt very comfortable here, and so we found found this little house that um, it's what it is is a it's a working man's cottage. There was a um, used to be a uh, large uh, international harvester engine factory and foundry a mile a little over a mile from the house, and so a lot of this two two things happened. We had the the uh, factory here that's now gone. And if any of your listeners are familiar with Butler University, probably for basketball, college basketball fame in the last 10 years or so, um, Butler University is now on the north side of town, but it started here in this neighborhood. And so we had Butler, we had the factory, uh, and it you've got this mix of, of wonderful old homes dating back to the early to mid-1800s through... Uh, just prior to World War II, our house was built in 1939. So right, right on, you know, right before we got into World War II uh, in, in the United States. And so, you know, lots and lots of character, lots of variety, um, wonderfully designed neighborhood, and it's just a great place to live. And so we ended up buying this little house. So when we when we bought the house, it was uh, two bed uh, two bedrooms on the first floor, and then you know under under the roof line, there's a bedroom up there and a large walk-in attic on the front, which is where your dormers are. And um, you know at that time I was still working in architecture firms, you know, still designing, still managing projects and things like that, and so. I designed a, a large renovation of the home and basically we blew out the the second floor. Didn't didn't change the roof line with the exception of adding a, a small dormer on the side to uh to uh fit a, a bathroom in up there. And so now we have three bedrooms up there and then the the full bath. And um we didn't put a door at the bottom of the stairs because it's an open stair, but we didn't find a way to lock the kids up there, <laughs> but that, that has become the, uh, the kids area yeah. where their well, bedrooms and after stuff. After a while, are. they don't need a lock. They don't come down on their own. This is true. This is true. Yeah. They're, they're at that point now where, uh, you want, Hey, how many days has it been since we, <laughs> we've seen, you know, one of the kids. So, yeah. Yeah. They're at that age now. So one one thing that I think is interesting is you all these little houses were uh, they're, they're actually they're developed by a builder and developer that's still active in town. They're the third or fourth generation company, hmm. and if you if you look at all the houses in the neighborhood, they all have somewhat interesting masonry work. Well, the the grandfather or great grandfather or whoever it was that founded this this uh, home building company started out as a Mason. And so they really valued masonry. And so that that's one of the interesting things about, I suppose, the design and construction of these homes, but they were, they were designed for a different time. They were, people lived differently back then. Technology was different. And, you know, the way that we approach a lot of things in life was different. And so one of the things to me, that's been interesting about this whole process and, and the, and the decision to stay 
in this home rather than go out to who knows where and, and buy a quote unquote modern home, uh, not in style, but in just in timeline, um, is how, how do you help this home evolve with your lifestyle? How do you help this home evolve to match the current needs? And, and we, I mean, it still needs some help. And, and we'll, you know, I've, I've got a master plan for this house. It'll probably extend for long bev- beyond how long I live. But, you know, there, there are certain things that need to continue to evolve because they just, they don't match the way that we live. Uh, we need more space for this, less space for that. You know, this, this could change and that could change more, more than cosmetic things, but, you know, how we physically live and especially going through the pandemic. And um, so we have two teenage kids and my um, wife who used to go downtown and work in an office every day is, you know, she's been home since middle of March, I suppose. And so we have these four adult sized people 24 hours a day, seven days a week in a home that was never designed to, to live like that. And so, you know, going through this process and, um, you know, again, I used to, I used to design these things, right. I used to design custom homes and renovations and other types of projects, but to actually live through the process and, and, honestly use it a little bit as a living laboratory, which is one of the mm. benefits that I suppose maybe curses that, that architects, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> architects have. Yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, and, and also experience the process on, on, on a personal level, obviously, you know, Hey, I've, I tried to do as much of the work as I could, but Hey, I've got a, hire a plumber to do this. I've got to pay a plumber. You know, I've got to pull the permits. I've got to do all these things and experience this process on a firsthand basis in my own project. That to me was very beneficial for me personally and and professionally um, at the time, but literally and figuratively, there's a lot of uh, ownership in the project as well. Right. You know, one problem may be, could I ever sell this house? But it's, could you let go of the house? after, you know, everything that you've put into it. And, and of course, you know, the sentimental value of everything that's happened here, mm-hmm. kids growing up and stuff like that. But um, I think you've stayed too long. You stayed past the point where you can let it go. I think, I think it's 12 years. I think 12 years is my cutoff where I feel like I've helped it and I can move on, help another house. But yeah, you've lived your whole, like half your life there. More than Al- half your Almost life. my entire adult life, really. I mean, yeah. We moved in here a handful of years after college. So, yeah. yeah. But I also, I think that that 12 years, I think, is an interesting number because if I really thought about it, I might it might be sort of waves of 12 years. Mm. You know, we've done this major project and then 10 or 12 years later, we do this major project. And um, so that there, there might be some magic to a number like that. Um, I, I can't. You know, personally, I don't see myself moving, so I can. Well, I would, I would prefer to continue to evolve the house, as you can imagine, with a home that was built in 1939. There are very distinct and and somewhat closed off rooms all through the house. Um, yeah. it'd be really nice to open up the kitchen and dining. And my number one priority, if 
if I hit the lottery would be to take mm-hmm. the kitchen wall and push it out the depth of a countertop because you need about that much more room in order for people to actually be able more than one person to actually be able to move around in the kitchen at the same time. Hmm. Okay. So you're talking about pushing out your exterior wall. Mm-hmm. Would you be cantilevering it? Yeah. Hmm. Because it's right now by zoning, I can't do anything on either side. Um, the house, you know, the houses hmm. are close together and, and with the, you know, they're called setbacks, but it's, you know, it's really the building line because one side of the house is essentially the property line. So in order to fit it in under zoning, I would have to cantilever it out and call it a bay window. Oh, clever. So, is it on the side? Is, yeah, be on the side, on the driveway side. And you, you're allowed to have a, a bay window in the setback. Mm-hmm. Well, now that you've put it on this very famous podcast, Jeff, <laughs> I'm sure you're going to get caught. The, the city of Indianapolis will probably be. <laughs> yep, they're waiting for you to try it. Yep. Well, that's a great idea, though. I mean, are you going to put decorative brackets underneath? Uh, no, I don't think there'll be decorative brackets. No, it'll be, uh, it would probably be a fairly modern, modern piece inserted into the the, uh, older, older design. So what else did you do? What else did you do? You have, you looks like you have a big dormer on the side. That must be where your bathroom is. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the walk-in attic is, is now two bedrooms and they're, you know, we, we followed the roof line. They're all vaulted up there. Uh, it's it's actually really nice space. You know the the proportion, the height of this the space is nice. It's all vaulted. We um, we used uh, spray foam insulation to maximize the amount of space that we could get, and you know, and still meet insulation requirements and everything. And that's been wonderful. I went up there last night actually. And I thought, you know, it's a whole lot nicer up here, (laughs) Um, you know, with modern insulation and and heating and air up there. But uh, um, and then we uh, uh, we opened the stair up. So the whole that whole upstairs is is nice and light and airy. The volume is nice up there. And then the uh, the kids bathroom, as it were, in that in that dormer is is nice as well. It's there. We put we put a lot of windows up there. You can't see it from the front. You just have the two dormers. But on the sides and back, there's just, you know, I think Pella really ought to be sending me a check instead of me having paid them mm. because it's sort of a Pella uh, advertisement. Maybe they'll sponsor the show. Maybe, hopefully. Maybe. Although I, I actually spec out Marvin most of the no. time because they sent me to their factory. I can see that. You have, can, you, have you been to the Marvin tour? I have not, but I'm pretty sure that you could get uh, a tour of the Pella factory as well if you wanted one. Well, I went right before the well, like six months before the pandemic to Marvin. I was going to hit all of them up, but and then I I lost my momentum. No, it was you know it was interesting. It was a fun trip, but it worked because now I just spec out Marvin windows. Yeah, well, that's so exactly they got their money back <laughs> they did. for taking me out there. Yeah, yep. was their ROI. So I, I said before, I tried to do a lot of the work myself. And I, I've grown up around construction and had a lot of construction jobs when I was in high school and college. And so I can do framing and I can uh, do trim work. And, uh, and I'm not a licensed electrician, but I've worked with electricians for years. Um, so I could do a lot of things. Uh, I don't ever attempt to do plumbing. <laughs> but um, I think the biggest mistake is, or, or that I made was, probably not understanding and being realistic about the amount of work I could do and the time 
that it would take me to do it. So this, this thing lingered on for a long time, which at the time was not a huge deal. Um, Mm. You know, it it wasn't like we needed uh, the entire upstairs to be renovated, you know, in, in a month. Right. So uh, that, that was, that was really one of the biggest things was not being realistic, probably not knowing enough to be realistic about how much time it was going to take. And, you know, some of the things that I was designing and doing were fairly complicated and I had to figure them out in the field. You know, how do you vault this? How do you tie, tie this ridge line into that, you know, that, that kind of thing. So, so there was definitely some complication to it. Um, so that, that would be one thing. And then I guess the other thing, and this is an ongoing problem because we tried to keep most everything as traditional as we could, you know, sort of matching the character of the house. The windows are larger than, you know, windows from 1939 would have been out of necessity. You know, the, the size of the windows that they put in 1939 don't meet current egress requirements. So, you know, they got larger and we, because the spaces were vaulted, we, we put, uh, you know, transom windows and, and did some things like that. But the siding is very traditional. The trim is very traditional. And I wanted to stick with wood siding. So it's all, all cedar siding. Mm. And I know, we, we architects kind of fall for that, don't we? We, we do fall for that. And we part do. of the reason is because you can't, you can't detail fiber cement. Mm-hmm the way that this house was originally detailed. You can't do corner details the way it was originally detailed. And so it's, you know, it's all cedar. And one, one big mistake, like I said, that, that still haunts is that the, um, the siding, the carpenters that were doing the work on the outside, I didn't, I didn't do any of the exterior siding or trim or anything like that. Number one, because it gets really high in the air. And that seemed like a really bad risk to take. So he's he's working on on all of this. He gets everything except for the new dormer sided with pre-primed cedar. He gets to the dormer and for some reason can't get his hands on pre-primed cedar anymore. Mm. And so, okay, I won't push back too hard. I won't put my foot down and insist that you put pre-primed cedar up. And so he puts, you know, raw cedar up and it, it has been in, in terms of the durability of the paint and everything else, it's been a nightmare, uh, since, since he put it up and it, it's mm. just, that's, it's night and day between the pre-primed and, and the, and the not. And so I would, I guess if I had to do that over. I don't know what the solution is. Hey, drive to Minnesota and cut, you know, I don't know, you know, go, go somewhere and find, find this pre-primed. But that, that was definitely a mistake. I mean, we, I guess, literally speaking, we pay for that every, every year. Do you have to paint it every year? Pretty close. Yeah. Did you have any mishaps? Yeah, definitely. Definitely a couple that I, that stick in my mind. Um you know, basically this renovation was, or, or a large part of it was taking what had been a walk-in attic and converting it 
into a couple of bedrooms, you know, with closets and things. And so it was, you know, it's it like an attic. There's open ceiling joists and, uh, and, and no real floor, no platform. And so at one point I had been working on, uh, on a part of what would become a bedroom and, you know, I was going to work every day and coming home and working on this at night and, and, uh, probably had passed the point of exhaustion about a week earlier. And I was working up there, had on my, uh, like the earmuff type, uh, ear protection. I was working away at something. And for whatever reason, I decided I could do this walking around on the joist instead of laying some plywood, laying some sort of decking down. And I was wrong. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. I, I took a took a little bit of a misstep and ended up going between, falling between two of the, mm-hmm. the uh, ceiling joist. On both sides of it. On both sides of it. And I, I ended up going through, of course, breaking through the plaster and lath ceiling for what was, what is still the kitchen and landed on the refrigerator down below. <laughs> that was, that was lucky because uh, that, that, you, didn't, you didn't hit the joists then. Yeah, that, that was really lucky because the potential was pretty bad there. But uh, <laughs> at the time I, you know, we had, we had a, uh, a young kid and an infant kid and my wife was was giving our son a bath at the time and of course she heard the she heard this all you know heard me falling through and whatever probably plaster falling to the floor <laughs> and all of these things and she she started uh freaking out you know she's got a kid in the bathtub and uh she comes running in and uh you know she's I, I actually I don't even know what she was saying because I had the the ear protection on the the uh, hearing protection on and uh, but I, I could I knew eventually that she was freaking out but since I didn't hear her and I had the had the headphones on now she's really freaking out you know she thinks I'm I'm really hurt and uh, I think by then she was already dialing the phone, right? <laughs> but, but you know, I just it was simply me not hearing her because I had the, the hearing protection on. Uh, so eventually, I'd, when I figured out what happened, <laughs> where I was, I took yeah. that off. And um, but then, then you know, we've got a really big mess and something else to fix and, and things yeah, like that. That would have been a yeah. Okay, so what um, what would you have done differently there? Uh, yeah, I would, I would definitely put some decking down, uh, put some, put some flooring down, even if it's just temporary, uh, which I, I had done mm-hmm. in the other bedroom up there. Uh, but, but it was, you know, I was just taking scraps and laying it down, covering the joist, you know, so I could work up there. And, uh, I had to, I had to put a, uh, I had to put a ridge beam up, you know, a two by something two by six or something up there and I'm working by myself, you know, up there late at night. And so I've got this great idea that I could, I can take this, this 12 foot long two by six or whatever the member was, and I can climb the ladder and I can hold it up and clamp one end of it. And then I can go back down the ladder, you know, I'm holding the other end. I can go back down the ladder and move over and raise the other end up and then nail it. Right. 
so th- this is how I have, I have figured out that I can, in, in my mind at least, how I can do this myself. And to my credit, I had plywood down. You know, I had to have a place to set the ladder, right? Well, you'd, you'd learned from your past. I, I have learned, yes. Journey because to the of, kitchen. Yep. I've already stood on the refrigerator at this point. <laughs> so, uh, so I had all this laid out. But again, it was scraps. And so there was a hole. There was a spot that wasn't covered up. Mm-hmm. And it couldn't have been more than about two foot squared. Um, but, you know, it seemed like it was kind of out of the way and, and everything. And I didn't need the ladder to be there. And I had this plan. Right? I'm going to hold it up. I'm going to clamp it. I'm going to go over here and and uh, and nail it and all of that. Well, you know, none of that accounts for the fact that as you're moving this joist around and pivoting it while you're going up and down the ladder, it may come out of the clamp. Mm. And so as I am, uh, as I'm climbing the ladder on the other side to go up to, to nail it, that thing comes right out of the clamp. And of course, by Murphy's law, where in the world is the end of that going to, going to land? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to go in that two foot square hole. (laughs) No, I can only imagine what your wife was thinking by now. Oh yeah, yeah, she was thrilled. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it goes goes in the two foot square hole, and it goes clean, right, clean, right between two ceiling joists, and ends up in the living room. <laughs> <laughs> so now we, so you know, we we um, the Oops. idea was to do this renovation upstairs, and in reality, it turns out that we ended up. Uh, basically repairing two plaster ceilings downstairs as well. So, well, they probably needed it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, at that point, they certainly did. Yeah. Well, what would you learn yeah. from that one, Jeff? That you would maybe not, maybe have someone up there helping you? Yeah. I. You know, there's a limit. There's yeah. a limit to what you can do yourself. Maybe maybe the moral of the story is be smarter, figure out a better way to, <laughs> to clamp it up or something. But um but but I think the big takeaway is that there is a limit to what you can actually accomplish by yourself. Mm. Um, you know, and it, it it gets a little bit uh, a little bit scary if you want to want to think a little bit further because you know, like I said with the the first example, you know, I was I was beyond running on fumes at that point. Um, yeah. You know, so this is this is a big DIY problem, right? You're you probably go to work and, you know, you, you do the things you've got to do. And then, you know, nights and weekends type thing, you're, you're doing this work. And, um, so it can be exhausting. And remember, you're probably working with power tools and you're probably working in, in situations where you may fall through a ceiling and in best case scenario, stand, you know, end up standing on top of a, uh, a tall of a appliance. Yeah. Yeah. No. <laughs> tall appliance. Exactly. So. Well, yeah. okay. Well, that's, you know, that is something to keep in mind because it, it is a matter, it does take a certain amount of time, as you were saying. Mm-hmm. And where are you going to find that time in your life? Something yeah. has to go. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's back to what we talked about before. I mean, it's what what's, what's actually realistic, you know, and it's, it, I, I totally get it been there, done that, still there in some cases where, you know, can I, 
can I afford to pay somebody to do this? Maybe, maybe not. You know, would I prefer to save some money? Well, probably a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Should I? Probably not a lot of times, right? Um, you know, and, and of course, you know, and all, all of that ignores the question of, of codes and, and permits and, and licensing. I mean, th- there's those requirements that we need to keep in mind, but, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, what, what's the, uh, what's the additional, what, what did I save once I fell through the ceiling? You know, now I've got a lot of added cost at that point. So you gotta, right. you gotta weigh these things and balance these things. Well, so do you have any advice for people who are buying their first house and thinking of fixing it up? Well, I, th- I guess the first thing, especially in this market. So, you know, we're recording this right now. I assume it's the same where you are as it is here. I mean, it's just a really, really hot real estate market right now. Um, seller's market. Yeah. It, it can be really hard to find the house that you want, you know, the house that you think that you want. And so I would, what I would say is that construction of a house it, once it's constructed, it's a pretty static thing, right? Here's this house. You know, just like I said at the beginning, you know, our house was built in 1939 and the way people lived in 1939 is very different than the way that people live in, in some ways is very different than the way people live in 2021. I have a question about that. Yes. How did they live? There was, a, I mean... I have thought that myself, but then how did they just not spend much time at home? Were they just smaller people? Did they have only one TV? Did they have a TV? No, they didn't have a TV. They had like a radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I and mean, what did they do? Did, does, did the woman stay home? Or is your house a worker house? Would you say both people would have worked or only a single person lived there? Or what do you think? Uh, I Well, first of all, they didn't consume like we consume, right? They didn't own as much stuff. As we and Amazon delivering more boxes every single day to the house. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, one of the biggest complaints about old houses is lack of closet space. Well, guess what? True. Yeah, right? that's true. They just didn't have the stuff. They didn't have the stuff. So that was one part yeah. of it. And, and yeah, I mean, technology, whether it was radio or early TV, there was probably only one in the house. And so there was one room for that, um, mm. you know, and uh, probably – if if there was a family there, probably the wife, the mom was home and everybody else was working or going to school and things, uh, things like that. And probably, you know, the wife was in the kitchen cooking by herself and cleaning up and things by herself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we've got this detached garage, which is actually probably uh, have not. A, well, actually. This is the original garage, but it's actually been expanded because cars are different. Mm-hmm. Um, That's true. You know, and so I don't know that the people were any larger, but, you know, we, a lot of the things that we, we live larger mm. in a way. Um, so I, I think that's one of the, one of the big differences and, you know, it's, it's okay. In fact, I, to me, things should evolve, right? This is not a museum. I have no interest in living in a museum. I have no interest in my neighborhood being a museum. So, 
you know, you, you have the ability to help your house continue to live and to continue to meet changing needs. Uh, you know, and if you have any, any interest in sustainability, that's a really sustainable thing to do is to help this house that was built in 18 or 1939 or houses that are in our neighborhood that were built in 1834, you know, that are still completely viable uh, places to live, you know, beautiful places to live. And, and I guess that's one, you know, that's sort of philosophical, I suppose, but um, that's one piece of advice is, you know, find a place that you love neighborhood wise, et cetera. And, and imagine what this house that you're looking at could be. It doesn't have to be what it is today. So um, when, once a house is built, that's kind of a static thing. But we continue to evolve in terms of the way that we live. You, you know, and, it's, and, and it is interesting to live in a house like this. It's all plaster and lath. Um, you know, it's not drywall. Uh, th- there, there are some challenges when it comes to technology, you know, the way that we live. Uh, Wi-Fi is terrible <laughs> in a house like this. Um, mm. You know, you, you, may, you may be installing repeaters or, you know, when five, 5G home finally uh, makes it a block and a half over and we have it in our house, we'll have little uh, 5G things all over the house in order to, to get it to work here. Uh, you know, hiding cables is very difficult, but there, there are creative solutions to all of these things. And, um, you know, I, I guess just don't be afraid of change. You know, it, it, should the house be permanent? Well, maybe, but should it exist exactly the way it did when it was first built? No, probably not. Old, old houses are, are great, you know, with all of their creeks and sometimes their leaks. And (laughs) when, when we first moved in here and I remember laying in bed one night and the heat had either come on or gone off and the hardwood floors going through their creaking with expanding and contracting, you know, as with the temperature change, Mm. I swore that someone was walking through the house. Mm. Or, or you know, a pet, an animal, a cat, or a dog, or whatever was walking through the house, and it was just the, it was just the motion of the house, you know, the expansion and mm. contraction, and um, you know, it's just part of the character. Yeah, that's why there's so many scary stories that take place in those older houses. Well, is there anything else you'd like to share before we we wrap up? I don't know. Paint your door yellow. Yeah, my door is light blue right now, which is kind of, it just cheers me up. Well, yeah, I think that's the point, right? It's have some fun with it. Yeah, it's only paint. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, exactly. the door is a really, really easy one to do. Right. Yeah. You could, you could, there's a person near me who changes her door, or at least they used to with the season. Wow. Yeah. Wow. She, I think she didn't, I think she didn't have a job. I think she just hung out at home. She was a door. If painter. you know what I mean. She's a door painter. She's a yeah, quarterly door painter. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is just paint, and it can be really fun, and it changes the look. And so I like your yellow door. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it um, that's you know you have fun with it. You make make your house your home. You know. Yeah. Do do something you love with it. So. 
So where can anybody find you if they want to learn more about you and what you do, Jeff? If they w- we have our we have a podcast together. We do. We do. Catherine and I co-host Context and Clarity Live every uh, Thursday afternoon at 4 p.m. Eastern, which is yep. uh, the, the live the live version is is a little bit different because it's simulcast to Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Twitter. And we talk to some really interesting people every Thursday afternoon. Um, we do. And of course, then that does come out as a as a podcast. Uh, the, just the audio version the following Monday. Uh, mm. I've got so who's a, that for? I would say it's for our business own small business owners. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we talk a lot about architects and and small firm architects, but all of the lessons are applicable to all kinds of small business owners. Um, yeah, we say architect a lot and architecture a lot, but you can. No, we can't stop talking about architects, architects, yeah, architects. Yeah. <laughs> But, but you could you could insert your profession there, right? Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't. Uh, I, I've got another podcast called the Build Your Brand Podcast, and again, I talk about architects a lot. But I have people reaching out to me that go, "Oh, you know, I was listening to this this podcast, and you know, I I need to talk about this, that, or the other." And and um, you know, they're they're an attorney or they're they're something else, right? They're they're a non architect, and they've they've already made the leap. They're just taking the lessons and applying it to their own yeah. their own situation. But if you want to find me, I'm pretty easy to find on social media. I'm just Jeff underscore Eccles everywhere. Um, that's E C H O L S. And then I have um, a website for my for my company called Echo Echo Engagement is the company and EchoEngage.com is the URL. So just take Echo and Engage and smash them together like one word. Mm. And you're, a, would you say you're, would you define yourself as a branding? How do you define yourself, Jeff? Mm. Brand, a branding, marketing, ex-architect? Yeah, it's a little. Or dormant architect? I don't think you can be. <laughs> it's still in the blood. I think so. Yeah, it's many times brand and marketing strategist, business development strategist, um, sometimes management consultant, mainly in the professional services world, but uh for me, most of it starts with the question of brand. You know, what is a brand? What is your brand? So uh, it, it all kind of spins out from from that point. Would you say your house reflects your personal brand, Jeff? That's a good question. I thought about mm. that. In, in a way, yeah, I would say I would say so. Yeah, it's, you know, it's comfortable and livable and it's got some personality. Thank you to Jeff for joining me and uh, for all the insights on living in and loving an older home. I, I love older houses, as I think you all probably have heard me talk about before. And thanks to you for listening. Do you have a story you'd like to share or um, a home renovation subject you'd like to learn more about and I could make an episode on it? Or do you have any other feedback on the show? This morning, I got a uh, a video over Facebook from a listener in British Columbia who shared her exterior renovation with me, which is totally awesome. I love that. Send me your photos. Send me your videos. Let me know what you're up to. If you want to get in touch with me, you can email me at thehousemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. You could follow my Facebook page and message me there. You could message me without following me, I guess, but that's Talking Home Renovations on Facebook, also on Instagram, same thing, Talking Home Renovations, and on TikTok, I'm the House Maven, if you happen to go over there. 
If you visit my website, TalkingHomeRenovations.com, you will see the episode enhancement for this episode and previous episodes as well. And if you think, wow, I wish I could just get that delivered directly to my inbox on Wednesday mornings, you can see in the show notes where you could sign up for my mailing list, and that's what I send out. And also on my website, I have transcripts for a variety of shows. I am working on getting them all done. This podcast is a production of my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. So until next time, take care. Take care.